You're listening to Glowing Older, the podcast that goes deep with the experts shaping senior living. Thank you to our Season 2 sponsor, Contento Marketing, advisors for content and communications to position your company for the future. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older podcast, where we interview experts on innovation in senior living. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm pleased to be here again with Colin Milner, the CEO of the International Council on Active Aging. Colin's been recognized by the World Economic Forum as one of the most innovative and influential minds in the world of aging-related topics. I fondly like to call him the guru of wellness for older adults. Welcome back to the program, Colin. Well, thank you for having me back. Uh, it's a pleasure to have a return engagement. I feel like a, a comedian or a movie star or something. Well, I think you are a movie star in senior living. So I, um, I'm going to dig right into it. The reason we're coming back together is because right after we had our first podcast, you released the ICAA um, Creating a Path Towards the, new, the Next Normal in Senior Living. And that was based on your uh, senior living task force of 154 thought leaders. Yes. Uh, so I, um, I loved this quote. I read the report, and certainly everyone in the senior living profession needs to read it. Uh, it's full of strategies and tactics and, and just really practical, actionable things. But one of the quotes that really struck me from the report was, the rapid changes that already have taken place in response to the pandemic have confirmed that each property has the ability to quickly replace the it's always been done this way outlook with a new paradigm. I think that's really exciting. So can you tell me about the shift you've seen coming from the top level? Well, I think I think what we have seen is a is a rapid shift because people have had to instead of people wanting to and taking their time. And one of those shifts have been basically through technology. Uh, embracing technology at a much more rapid rate than uh, had been previously done over the past decade. So I think, you know, there, there are elements like that. I think that individuals are waking up to the fact that, hey, we actually need to address the health and well-being of our residents beyond just simply locking them down and keeping them safe because, it's also having a short and what I foresee as a long-term impact on their overall physical, cognitive, mental, spiritual capabilities, and that uh, change needs to happen. So I think that people are, are looking, uh, number one, for how to respond. Two is that if they have the capacity, sometimes it takes uh, money, uh, but if they have the capacity to respond, uh, we're seeing that occur more rapidly. Now, there's still, unfortunately, those out there who are not responding and not responding in a timely manner uh, to some of the challenges that are there. And, uh, you know, hopefully they will uh, embrace some of these recommendations to help them move forward. Yes. And I know one of the things that came up in the report is it's just amazing that you all are coming together and, and discussing these things, because I think as an industry, uh, you have a little bit of an identity crisis and, and a perception crisis. Uh, and I, I was speaking with your good friend, Kesey Hayward, uh, from uh, Senior Hospitality, about the problem with there being so many terms for senior living and that consumers are confused 
uh, and the words health and care are reused and can scare people off. So I know that in um, the task force, you guys uh, said that you needed to develop a new value proposition for senior, senior living and that that's a top priority. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the current value proposition, of course, is taking a significant beating in not only uh, the media, but within the communities themselves. And the uh, current value proposition is that if, if, for many, is if you come into the communities, we will take care of you where I think, you know, where we are is that, you know, people are really looking at how can they take care of themselves and be more uh, autonomous? Uh, I think that we're being challenged with the take care of you model right now uh, in the midst of COVID-19. So I think one of the things, Nancy, that uh, we need to look at with the new value proposition is how do we help individuals live the best life possible no matter where they are, uh, in their life, whether they or where they live, whether it's an active adult community, whether it is a uh, continuing care community, whether it's a nursing home, uh, no matter where you are, that you are still able to live the life that you wish to live, how you wish to live. And yes, there will be some limitations based on your capabilities, but instead of treating people like damaged goods that need to be fixed, helping individuals to embrace what they are capable of doing and enabling them to do that. And that's, that's been your message for more than 30 years, and that's why you created Active Aging Week, just to, to bring this message. Do you see the industry being able to come together, perhaps all the associations and the large players come together for sort of like a got milk campaign to, to change perceptions on a larger uh, scale? That's a fantastic question, and it's funny because I was speaking to someone about that uh, yesterday, and that's exactly one of the things that we, you know, we think it might be needed. The problem is, or not the problem, the challenge is that everybody's different, and so sometimes, as an example, a got milk campaign. But if you are promoting a nursing home, as an example, what you may be promoting is different than if you are doing a Got Milk campaign for a, uh, let's say, for instance, an active adult community. So, you know, the definitions and the, the way people would go about it would be so different that sometimes a one-size-fits-all campaign may be very difficult. What I think we could see is that there are campaigns around each of the different segments of the industry. So let's say active adult communities could come together to promote active adult communities, uh, CCRCs to promote CCRCs, because they're also different. What would be an ideal scenario is that all of the communities come together to promote, here's how you can live a healthier, better life, no matter where or what your circumstances are. And to do that, you can utilize any form of community across the country. The problem is you've got to be able to fulfill that promise and not just say it. Oh, that's that's so true. And I know we're going to dig down a little into the 
the dimensions of wellness that that you promote and advocate and actually certify for. So um, before that, I'd love to ask a little bit about the strategies for design and redesign of exterior and, and interior renovations that are coming as a result of the next normal. Yes. When we came together, we were looking at two key elements overall. And those two key elements were, you know, how do we help optimize the health and well-being of residents and staff? Especially if you are working with residents, you have to make sure that your staff are healthy and well and that they are having things like their mental health, uh, you know, in balance and that they are being supported in uh, you know, whatever they need. Uh, and for residents that, you know, the staff are helping to provide the same for them, helping them to live well and support them in what they need. So I think that that was number one. And number two was, you know, creating a new value proposition for senior living based on where we are right now, that the value proposition probably isn't going to be that appealing, uh, you know, right in the midst of a pandemic as we have seen based on how the media has covered the senior living industry. That couldn't be more true because people say to me, oh, you're going into senior living instead of hotel and resort. And it's like, people don't realize how hard hit hospitality is going to be. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and underneath those two overriding, uh, you know, guidance uh, elements, uh, you know, we really came up with six key strategies and uh, underneath those strategies, we came up with 35 tactics of how to fulfill them. But, you know, if you just simply fulfill those six strategies, it would make a significant difference to one, you know, how your organization is perceived two, how your organization operates and three, the quality of life for your residents and your staff. And so are, are there specific things that you came up with? I'm sure that must be part of the tactic portion of uh, specific redesigns that, that are affordable and practical for some of these facilities that may not have big dollars. Absolutely. Um, you know, when we look at it as an example, the first strategy was actually designing, redesign or renovate interiors and exteriors of your buildings to create a well building. It all starts with the building and then what you put inside of that building needs to come alive, whether it's uh, your safety precautions or staffing or anything else. But the the physical environment is a, is a starting point. So, you know, we know right now that we're looking at ways to minimize COVID-19 exposure by controlling things like access to buildings and, and spaces. But how do we actually take it beyond that? How do we take it beyond securing entries and, and you know, reducing visitors' access to the, um, to the communities? And I think that, uh, you know, part of that would be, uh, you know, an organization sitting down with, because every organization is different, so it's hard to dictate to them, uh, which we shouldn't be anyway, here's what you should be doing. Right. But what I would recommend is that they sit down, engage with a, a designer or designers, their operations team, you know, their infection control team, uh, and do a design charade uh, to, you know, plan for today and for future indoor and outdoor environments and, and go through the process of what these would look like 
because they can implement those now and in the future, uh, you know, analyze, uh, you know, what their built environment offers and doesn't offer and start a checklist and, you know, go down that checklist. Uh, and it may take you time to fulfill those such as air filtration systems. You know, you can pick those up, um, you know, relatively inexpensive uh, compared to redoing your whole community, uh, you know, just simply to get the air circulating better through the community, uh, you know, investigate things like your water, nourishment, light, uh, how people move, the, uh, the temperature, all of those different things that make the building more livable and well. Um, you know, investigate things like the LEED certification. Um, you know, there's so many things that people can do. Don't think of it as eating the whole, uh, you know, the whole elephant at once. Take it bit by bit and look at what are the things you can implement first. That's a great analogy because it seems like this, it's, it's, chunked up in these little bite-sized practical practical actionable things that the report is so uh it's so usable so i i know that smart technology is going to be a big part of the interior the buildings that you were just talking about and technology in general uh to increase connection aid efficiencies and optimize health which is one of your strategies uh, anything you want to tell us about some of the technologies that you've seen that are extremely interesting? Well, I'll tell you, moving forward, uh, the word touchless is going to come into play. Yes. You know, everything from faucets to soaps to towel dispensers, you name it, doors, all of those elements. You know, um, if you are forward thinking, the reality is over the last few decades, we've had H1N1, swine flu, Ebola, and, and now we have COVID-19. These things uh, aren't going to go away. Uh, they'll rear their heads from time to time and there'll be new ones. So, uh, you know, planning, if you are building a community now, I would build as much into it that would be touchless as possible. You know, you can install touchless infrared screening stations for people to check their temperatures, as an example. Um, you know, but building it into, one, provide greater safety, two, more convenient, actually, uh, and look at how technology uh, is going to help you in the future. What we've seen right now by the way, Nancy, is, um, you know, people utilizing robots to deliver things like meals or uh, prescriptions and elements like that. It, will that become a standard? Who knows? But what we do know is that we need to be, not just have a plan in place, but we need to be prepared. We need to have in our community stocks of PEP and we need to have you know a strategy that is uh, at the stage that all you have to do is just say go and it gets implemented not a plan that you then sit down and say how do we do this where do we get these elements I think that that's going to be a crucial thing moving forward that if I was asking for my mother or father moving into a community that would be one of the first questions I would ask is you know how prepared are you, not what your plan is, 
but how prepared are you? Of course, of course. And you mentioned the robots and, and I know that one of the strategies was that you, uh, it's absolutely key to create a caring, positive staff. Yes. I know, I know the industry, just like hospitality, <laughs> has had a labor shortage at all levels. So what are some of the task force suggestions for attracting, training, and retaining the right staff? Well, I, I think, you know, whoever you attract, uh, you want to have the right culture to start with. Uh, you know, and that culture values your staff pays your staff fairly, you know, gives your staff, you know, the ability to make, uh, you know, crucial decisions at a time when they need to, uh, you know, provides the support and the education for your staff, provides opportunities for your staff to actually grow personally and professionally, uh, and also, you know, breaks down the silos so that, uh, you know, uh, all staff are appreciated uh, within the whole community instead of just their department. So I think, you know, just starting with a culture that brings those simple elements into play uh, is a starting point. And then as you recruit individuals, you know, your onboarding needs to support the fact that this is the culture you're moving into. Uh, and this is our expectation. Staff have been amazing right now. and why would you not want to continue that happening? But you also need to, uh, you know, pay staff what they are worth. And right now we are seeing that uh, the people on the floor working day in, day out with, uh, you know, the residents of the communities are worth a lot more than what they're getting paid. How do you see, how do you see that changing? Well, I think, uh, you know, part of that is, uh, one, uh, the organization uh, adopting a staff-centric, uh, you know, um, approach as opposed to an organization approach. Uh, two is that, you know, you may need to allocate uh, funds from different areas that are ineffective. Uh, you know, every organization that I've ever uh, visited with always has areas that are ineffective. Well, why do you keep feeding those? Why not to, you know, take some of the, uh, the income that you have coming in from those, if you do, if you're a for-profit versus not-for-profit, or some of the committed resources that you have allocated to that, and allocate that to better salaries. Uh, you know, why don't you focus on helping your residents to age well, which minimizes the cost of care, and then you can allocate those funds towards staffing. Matter of fact, that probably also makes you more appealing to the middle market because now you're actually able to adjust your uh, fees for entry or uh, you know fees for rent uh, to a more acceptable level to get a broader swath of the, uh, of the industry or of the population. Uh, I, I think it's really sitting down and advocating for uh, a model that focuses on staff and residents as opposed to just the bottom line. Because if you take care of those two, I believe that your bottom line will come. I mean, and this is exactly what 
I want to talk about next, which is to take some time talking about the dimensions of wellness that you've been thinking about this stuff for three decades, right? And finally, now there's a paradigm shift where he, it sounds like executive directors and developers are really starting to take a look at doing things differently from the ground up and from the top down. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the dimensions of wellness and how that can create a culture of positive aging. Yeah, so, you know, they're, they're at least a model that uh, International Council on Active Aging utilizes is it's a seven-dimensional model of wellness. And uh, we look at it as that, that addresses the whole person. Uh, and our definition of wellness is that it is, uh, you know, derived from our ability to understand, accept, and act upon our capacity, which we, first, we need to accept what our capabilities and capacities are wherever we are, and then actually understand what they are, and then act upon them to lead a more purposeful life uh, and engage life. And uh, communities can support that by providing environments and programs uh, around the seven dimensions of wellness to help people to actually optimize their potential. And those would be the physical dimension, social, spiritual, vocational, emotional, environmental, and intellectual, or as I like to call it, cognitive. Okay, great. And that, um, and the, I know that there's a certification, so there can be kind of a, an advocate or uh, inside the organization to um, promote uh, the dimensions of wellness because it is more of an integrative approach versus a siloed approach. It very much is an integrated uh, approach. They all overlap. Uh, you know, they, it, it, it isn't, if I am uh, going for a walk in the middle of the woods, as an example, I am, uh, I am engaging myself physically, but also probably spiritually. I'm uh, engaging myself emotionally because we know that five to 10 minutes outdoors can uh, make a significant difference to your mood. Uh, I am, uh, you know, I'm just uh, engaging myself in a variety of different ways environmentally because I'm outdoors and uh, you know so the the thing is to do it as opposed to not to do it for the communities you know if you are marketing that you are committed to wellness then be committed to wellness don't just use it as a catchphrase like uh, the hotels did in uh, years past with the the old good old-fashioned you know come to our hotel and we have state-of-the-art equipment and they didn't, uh, you yes. know, li live your brand promise instead of break your promise. Well, that sounds like a, a good way to, to wrap this up. I, I feel like I, I want to ask uh, how um, a senior living facility can work with ICAA so they can become a member, they can get an employee certified uh, through the dimensions of wellness to become a certified wellness, uh, what's the title for that? Yeah, so we have, uh, you know, there's a variety of ways that organizations can get involved with us. Number one is, you know, become a member. Uh, why? Because you want to stay 
in touch with what's happening. You want to remain relevant. You want to be uh, up on the trends. You want to understand what is going on in the industry, and that's what we do. Uh, you also want to, you know, see and be part of a movement that is taking an industry in a different direction as opposed to playing catch-up. Uh, it, to do that, uh, you know, we can help you in regards to creating your blueprint for that and educating your staff, whether it is through our different certification courses, uh, the first being the foundation for wellness course, which if anybody is creating a culture for wellness, they should have their staff go through that so they're all on the same page. And then the second course we have is a leadership and wellness management uh, course for those that are leading the charge. Uh, and then, you know, utilizing things like our conferences and uh, webinars and virtual think tanks and uh, virtual summits and, and so forth to help you move forward with your training in keeping people. To me, uh, you want to keep people up to date because uh, individuals come out of school and if they are not constantly educating themselves, uh, you know, they fall behind. Imagine being operated on now by a brain surgeon who learned brain surgery uh, four decades ago and has done nothing to stay current. Exactly. Exactly. It definitely gets you up to speed. And it's a great um it's a great way for people to get involved uh, with the new paradigm. And also, it's amazing that you're allowing all this information, all these tactics to anyone, whether they're a member or not. Yeah, our goal is impact. You know, we, we are at a challenging time and 154 uh, thought leaders from the industry came together to create some guidance to help organizations move forward, to create a new path to the next normal. Because we certainly aren't going to be in a new normal. I think we're going to see a next normal and a next normal and a next normal. And, you know, we may well have to update, you know, the uh, recommendations that have come out of this. But for right now, this is to provide you guidance in the fog that you are in right now, dealing with COVID-19 day in, day out, you know, to at least see that there's some sun at the end of that fog. Well, I thank all of you. I thank you. I thank all of you for putting this amazing information together and everyone out there. I highly suggest you go to um, the website. It's ICAA.ca, correct? ICAA.cc. Just think Colin Club. Okay, Gotcha. ICAA.cc. Thank you so much, Colin. My pleasure, Nancy. It's always a pleasure. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast. 